Hello, my friends. Welcome to the FBCC Chapel Podcast. The Bible says in Psalms how God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so, it is our prayer that as you listen, you be refreshed, challenged, and encouraged to be a servant for the Master. And now for today's chapel message. I'd open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter number 24. Genesis chapter number 24. I'm going to deal with a topic this morning that many of you would say, I don't need, I'm not interested. You may say that outwardly, uh, but I don't think it's true inwardly. I'm going to talk this morning and I'm going to present a message and then depending on time and how the Lord leads, I'm actually going to give you a handout sheet for you to take notes as we're talking about how God directs a man and a woman together for marriage. Now, you may be a freshman and say, that that is so far away, I'm not, you know, that's light years down the road. And then others of you are saying that outwardly, but inwardly saying, I hope it happens. But I'm not hopeful right now. Uh, And whatever your situation Ultimately, I believe very truly that it is generally God's will that everyone be married. Now, there are very few that are called to a life of celibacy, very few. I don't know that I've met more than a handful in my entire life. And even then, if the right person had come along, maybe they would have approached it differently. But Genesis 24 is a very interesting uh, chapter that I think we can draw principles from. Uh, I am not at all espousing that we need to follow it to the letter because it's a totally different culture, a totally different situation. uh, And most of us would be scared to death if our dad sent a servant out to find our spouse. I know I would have been. Uh, I didn't want my parents choosing my spouse for me, but you'd be amazed the number of people in our church that that is exactly what happened. I can tell you the story of one young man came in a couple years ago to my office and he said, well, seems I'm the oldest of my siblings and I have younger siblings getting married. My parents are really pushing me to get married, so they've found this website for me to pick a wife from. I'm like, you're joking, right? No. I said, are you serious about that? Oh, yeah. It's a Christian website. It wasn't called Christian Mingle, but uh, something like that. And uh, and so I I said, how do you feel about this? He said, well, you know, I haven't met anybody yet, and it it sort of works in our culture, so it'll be fine. And I, I went to prayer and fasting for that brother right at that moment. You know, I mean, just that. I'm glad my mom and dad did not choose my spouse for me. So that's not exactly what I'm uh, espousing here from the passage. But I do think there are principles that we can draw out that will help us and help you. Wherever you're at in in this whole uh, reality of finding uh, your life mate. So look down at Genesis 24, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Abraham was old. And well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, unto my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my, uh, unto my son from thence. 
And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath, only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and sware to him concerning that matter. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at that time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, listen to this prayer. O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water and let it come to pass that the damsel to whom, thou, uh, to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Now you know the, you know the story she came out, he made the request, she watered the camels. We'll talk about all that. But look down in verse number uh, 26. After all of that, after she invited her, uh, them, uh, him uh, to her home, and the man bowed it, uh, down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Then look down to verse number 60, uh, verse 59. And they sent away Rebekah and her, uh, their sister and their, her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions Whoa, that's pretty serious. Good thing for a child benefit in Canada, if that's the case. Millions. And let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well Laharoi, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventime, eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. It's sort of a funny thing, but as I was reading a Hebrew commentary on this, they said uh, she was so struck by his appearance, she fell off the camel. He must have been one good-looking guy. Of course, the old joke is that's the first statement of smoking in the Bible. She lit, lighted off a camel, but be that as it may. I don't think that's the case. Verse 65. For she said, she had said unto the servant, what man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, it is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. A few general things just as we look at the chapter. This is the longest chapter in the whole book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And it's only the second time so far in the, this book that the Bible speaks of this human relationship of love. In chapter 2, it's of a father for a son, Abraham taking Isaac up on Mount Moriah on that very poignant day. Uh, and that pictures God's love for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, it's a love of a son for his bride. Isaac now is meeting his bride-to-be. And there, again, a picture of Ephesians 5, Christ's love for the church. But this morning, I do want us to talk about this very important issue of who am I to marry? And what is God's plan in this? And how can I uh, 
as best I can in the leadership of the Lord be certain that the person I marry is God's will for me. You know, it, it is amazing, young people, and uh, you know, I'm talking to you now like the old guy, and you could look at me that way, and that's perfectly fine. But I've watched through the years how good Christian young people make very worldly, carnal choices for their life mate. They don't approach it spiritually. It's all on, on a flesh level. It's all on an appearance level. And very, very little counsel, very, very little involvement of parents and so on. And I'm going to be honest and tell you, under the very best of circumstances, marriage is a challenge. Because you have two sinners, even saved by grace, coming together. And there's going to be some challenges in the welding together of a marriage that lasts a lifetime. And you know what? Uh, you come from different backgrounds, have different experiences, your home lives are different, uh, feelings about what makes a good marriage, that uh, the whole issue of selfishness and unselfishness has to be conquered, the reality of each individual growing in grace and the likeness of Christ is absolutely necessary. So Genesis 24, maybe there are other chapters, but I think it's a, a very, very good chapter to consider this illustration of how God brought two people from different situations together in his will and used them to where they would truly have a match made in heaven, which is what everybody wants in marriage. So several things. Number one, I want you to notice the involvement of uh, his, his father with guidance, if you want to put it that way. Now, before we actually get into what happened here, if your parents are not saved, that changes the dynamic. And again, I am not at all espousing your parents choosing your spouse for you. But from the very beginning of a dating relationship that is growing in seriousness to where marriage could even be a consideration, I would strongly recommend that your parents be involved at least enough to know that this is something they need to be praying about. Because there's nobody who cares more for you than your parents. Nobody. I mean, if your parents are saved, no matter where they're at in their own spiritual journey, there is a natural concern for you given to them by God. And so here we have Abraham that took his eldest servant. We believe it's a Limelech just because of the positioning and sent him on this very, very important responsibility. And he made Elimelech make three promises to him that we find here in the text. Number one, uh, he, uh, he was not to, uh, to choose a wife out of where they live there uh, from the Canaanites. The Canaanites were not people who followed God. They were, in many cases, idolaters and the enemies of God. So Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? The more agreement there is in your lives and philosophy of life and biblical understanding before you marry, the better it will go. I, you know, Jan and I, this year is our 47th anniversary. And I can remember before we even got engaged, having some very serious discussions about ministry, about family, about our philosophy of child. I mean, we, we just talked about a lot of different things. And because we had worked together every week on the Sunday school bus route in North Chicago and served the Lord together, uh, we, we knew a lot about each other and whether or not we were selfish in our motivation or service in our motivation and so on. But there are a lot of long bus rides back to church where we were talking about serious stuff. We weren't talking about, you know, uh, stupid people in college and the, the couples that broke up and got back together 89 times over the four years. She was not to be a Canaanite. She had to be of the people of God. Secondly, she was to be from Abraham's extended family. Now, Obviously, times are different, and uh, she was actually the granddaughter 
of Abraham's brother, so in a sense she was Abraham's great-grandniece or something and so on. And, and that's not the point here, but the point is that there would be a similar background and similar beliefs. But Isaac was not to go back to Abraham's homeland himself. God had led the family out from that place and he didn't want Isaac to go back and be tempted to move back where God had brought them out. So these are very, whether or not they are directly applicable to us, the seriousness of it is as Abraham had Elimelech make this vow. Now it's a very odd thing to us. We don't really understand it. Put thy, I pray thee thy hand under my thigh. Yeah, yeah, for most guys, that's like, man, you know, it's a little too close here. You know, back off a little bit. Uh, but it was symbolic of a promise to do what he was asked to do or be willing to die. It was, it was a very serious thing. And depending on the commentator you read, what it really entailed, one uh, commentator said that it really... Uh, was talking more under the sash that held the robe together because that bound everything together and it was that serious of a vow, whatever uh, it pictures. The point is, Abraham's servant took this responsibility seriously. He referred to Abraham 19 times in this chapter as his master. So there was a high level of responsibility and accountability going on. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, young people, I am not interested in playing matchmaker. I have people, two weeks ago, I had somebody send me a, a, from another church where I spoke. He said, hey, we have this, uh, I hear you have a lot of Filipinos in your church. We have this beautiful Filipino young lady. Do you have any guys that might be potential? Uh... Maybe, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not doing that. You know, that's not my job. Uh, Brother Willett's philosophy is I'll introduce them. I'm not responsible for what happens beyond that. You know, I don't even introduce them. You're on your own, man. But, but we do see the involvement. And why do we see that involvement? Abraham waited a long time for the son. Abraham wanted the best for his son. And he knew that God was going to work through the family line. It was just two chapters before where he had put Isaac on the altar and surrendered him to the Lord. And then God intervened and provided a lamb. So keep your parents involved. Don't hide. If you have to hide things about this relationship from your parents, immediate red flags, immediate sirens, you're, you're going a dangerous way. Number two, not only do you personally need to seek the Lord, but you want those who care most about you to seek the Lord. I read his prayer down verses 12 to 14. And God worked through this prayer and through Elimelech's sensitivity to God's leadership. Uh, I find it interesting that uh, he meets her at the well. This is the first of three times in the Bible when a man met a woman at a well that led to marriage. So guys, if you're getting hopeless, there's a spring right up Lake Ridge Road. Go hang out there. Maybe God will bring somebody to you. I'm not sure. But in chapter 29, Jacob met Rachel at the well. In Exodus chapter 2, Moses met Zipporah at the well. Now, we know Abraham's a man of faith. The Bible uh, tells us that. And we see his influence on Elimelech and how Elimelech approached this whole thing, not, not with, uh, you know, hey, I'm smart enough. I can figure this out. I, I know who's beautiful, who's not. I, I, no, he was seeking God's direction. And as a faithful man, his walk with God and seeking God's direction was vital. For those of you who are not dating somebody right now, you know, you're just doing what you're doing, doing your schoolwork, whatever. You ought to be praying daily, God, keep me sensitive to you in this most important area. Because I'll say it now, I may say it later, but young people, let me tell you something. Marrying the wrong person 
is a miserable life. And they can be a Christian, but if they're not the person God has for you, you are inviting misery into your life. Understand, this is the most important decision you will make apart from receiving Christ. And your life is going to be directed by this. I could name you, if my wife was here and we just began thinking, and I could name you easily a dozen people that had, uh, would declare they were called into ministry that are not in ministry because of who they married. Imagine living your life in your heart knowing God wanted you to serve him But because you made a selfish choice or you made a self-directed choice, you're not serving him and the rest of your life you're living in regret. I've had men with tears in their eyes in their elder years tell me, God wanted me in ministry and I jumped the gun, I married the wrong person or I, I, I was infatuated and I married the wrong person and life has been a misery. Elimelech went on this journey purposed to obey God. And if we really have faith in God, then we are willing to trust God and be obedient to God no matter the cost. Somebody put it this way, quote, the more we meditate on God's word, the more truth we will see in it and the more direction we will get from it. Now God isn't going to say, and marry, and fill in the blank. But you're going to have the affirmation of God's truth as you are seeking God that this is a potential, and over time, this is affirmed, this is God's will. So unless we trust God and obey his word, we are not going to get the direction we need to make the right choices for life in any area, in this area as well. But thirdly, not only seek the leading of the Lord, walk with God, but be submitted to his direction. Verses 15 through 26, his whole encounter at the well is really God using circumstances to affirm his will. Now, circumstances are not the way to discover God's will, but they are very often affirmations of God's will for our lives. Now, I'm not at all a fan of fleeces. You know, God, if, if this is a guy for me, have him walk around the corner in the morning as I'm going to breakfast. It may just be he's hungry, you know. It, it's not really a good... Uh, if this is the girl for me, God, have her wear pink on Thursday. Now, you know, and, and I've heard some pretty ridiculous stuff. So be careful about that because we can create the circumstances to fit what we want them to be and get ourselves all confused. The point is God answered Elimelech's prayer and and he answered it in a way that there was no doubt that Rebecca was the answer to his prayers and that was confirmed through the circumstances that revealed her character. Notice down here in verse number 16. Well, verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. The first thing we see was she was attractive. You know, this is where many young people get nervous. They say, man, if I surrender to God, I'm, I'm going to have to marry the ugliest guy on campus. You know, or this girl, I'm not sure if she has one eye or I'm not sure. You know, I mean, just, no, she was attractive. And it is, it is very real. God has somebody for everybody. Sometimes I look at a couple and I say, you really think he's good looking? Well, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, maybe I ought to go to the eye doctor, but hey, whatever, you know. If, if, you're, if you're good with him, I'm good, you know. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not picking him out for you. I'm not picking her out for you. But Elimelech said she was very fair to look upon. So obviously 
there's going to be some natural attraction. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I dated a few different girls. Don't listen to my wife's story. She's, she's got it exaggerated. It's not true. I dated a few girls, but none of them, none of them attracted me like Jan did. She, because she was God's choice for me. Secondly, not only was she attractive, she'd kept herself pure. The root of this word speaks about separation or to keep herself marriageable. And young people, I'm not, this is not a message on moral purity, but I'm going to tell you right now, the looser you are before you're married, the more conflict you're going to have in your marriage. You cannot be too careful. You say, well, we're not doing anything immoral, but if you are physically involved to any level, you're going to raise questions in the future. You say, but this is a guy I think I'm going to marry. This is a girl I think I'm going to marry. Until you say, I do, it could be broken up. And then what? And then what? I'm just challenging you. You can't be too careful and you can't be too pure. Just keep your heart pure, keep your body pure for the one God has for you. But thirdly, notice how she was willing to serve. Verse 17, uh, verse 16, she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. She came for that purpose. Verse 17, and the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again unto the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Can I say, guys, sometimes the, the beauty queen is so self-focused She's impossible to live with. You want somebody who is willing to serve others. It's important. Ladies, you don't want to marry some lazy guy who has to have a nap every afternoon just so he can make it through the evening. You want to know somebody who can work. Somebody who knows how to work hard and to work without grumbling. You know, one of the things that captured me with Jan, not only was she beautiful to me and is beautiful to me, but every Sunday morning, she was on that Sunday school bus at eight in the morning. We drove it an hour plus up into Chicago. We spent an hour picking up our bus kids. She loved those kids. She held them on her lap. She would go up to Chicago every week and visit those kids. We rode an hour back on a bus with 60 plus kids oftentimes and she was ministering to them. We got them in our Sunday school classes. We gathered them up after Sunday school in church. We got back on the bus. We rode back to Chicago, delivered them home, got back to the church if we were fortunate by 6 p.m. just in time to go into the 6 o'clock service and the 7 o'clock service. And then uh, she, we said goodbye and she went to her house and I went back to the dorm. Every Saturday, every Sunday. She never got a Sunday nap. She never got to change her clothes. Often the, her clothes would get soiled. She'd get runs in her nylon, all, all that stuff. I mean, you imagine it, that's what happened. Get, kids get sick on you on the bus, and all, all that stuff. And I watched her serve with grace. And I said, here's somebody that understands ministry. Here's somebody that's going to serve the Lord. And not only did she attract me by her beauty, she attracted me by her willing service. And guess what we've done for 46 years? We've served the Lord. She's never one time made me feel guilty about going and preaching, being gone, doing things. She's not able always to go with me. We had kids. She had to take care of them. And, and you know, we, we've, we've done all that we've done, but God drew us together. She, she showed her heart to serve. Uh, and that's what we see here uh, as uh, she came, uh, Rebecca came to the well. Depending on the commentator you, uh, you read, 
not only did she willingly serve Elimelech, but then she went ahead and took care of his camels. Now, the Bible says there were 10 camels. I'm not a camel expert, all right? I've never had a pet camel. I've never, you know, I rode a camel one time in Israel for five whole minutes, and it cost me two bucks. You know, big deal. But the commentators say camels will drink between five and 25 gallons after a long journey. So 10 times five is 50 gallons of water. 10 times 25 is 250 gallons of water. The Bible says she went down and filled her pitcher and came up. And again, the commentators say that pitcher probably carried two to three gallons. Every gallon weighs eight pounds. So imagine the number of times she's going down and bringing up water and going down and bringing up water and going down, how much weight she carried, how hard she worked to take care of this responsibility. She was diligent. She was industrious. She was energetic. It says she hastened to do this. And she did it without complaint. As you're looking for a life mate, the last thing you want or need is a lazy spouse. It, will, it may seem cute when you're dating. It will be a curse when you're married. A person who is self-centered, it's all about me, and you're constantly trying to make them happy, Think about that for 30 years. Think about the difficulty of that. That's not a pleasant life. But definitely in those circumstances and in her responses, Elimelech knew God was affirming, yes, this is the one. She met the criteria. Uh, you know, she was good looking. Maybe Abraham wanted a good looking grandkids. I'm not sure. She had the right pedigree, verse 15. She was a granddaughter of Abraham's brother and she kept herself pure. And I do want you to think about this. The confirmation of God was clear. Elimelech was convinced, but look on down here in verse number, uh, well, she was introduced to the family, verse uh, 22, it came to pass as the angels were done drinking that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of 10 shekels weight of gold and said, whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, of whom uh, she bare unto Nahor, and she said, moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And Elimelech bowed and worshiped the Lord. Verse 27, he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left me destitute, my master of his mercy and his truth. Notice this phrase, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. You know, young people, it is a frightening thing. It is a sort of a disconcerting. How am I supposed to know? How am I going to be certain of God's will? Uh, am I going to let my emotions run away with me? And, and you know, you know, we got this little romantic thing going, and I get cute notes, and yeah, that's all wonderful and good. But that's not real life. Real life is that's part of life, but real life. You have to know what you're doing is of God. And Elimelech was absolutely convinced. And we're running out of time, so I won't go there, but it goes on. You can read the rest of the chapter. As Elimelech goes back and meets the family, the family was convinced. The family was convinced. And again, I'll say this to you. If the parents on both sides are involved and praying, it's a wonderful thing. Funny story, when uh, my freshman year of Bible college, Jan was in high school. She had a younger sister, a year younger. And uh, somewhere in there, my future mother-in-law pointed me out to her middle daughter, not to Jan. 
There's, there's somebody. Now, Barbara's a wonderful girl, and actually Barbara worked on my bus route first, but Jan came and joined with us, and, and Jan was the one God had for me. But my wife will tell you, my mother-in-law thought I was the best thing that could ever happen to her daughter. In fact, she said that. So, man, I was in like Flint. Man, this is great. My mother-in-law loves me. Of course, my mother loves me. My poor wife, nobody loves her but me. You know. And the point is this. I earned my future in-laws' respect by being totally upfront with them. There was never anything hidden from them. We were very open in our communication, and I never went beyond their level of comfort. I let them grow in affirming this to be God's will. And I'll tell you this, if you are secretive behind the, uh, the backs of your future in-laws, what makes you think you're ever, you're ever going to get their trust? Look, you marry a family. And you better think about that. You do marry into a family. And you, wanna, you want to be excited about taking your future kids, if God allows that, to visit grandparents and grandparents to come to your... It's, it's a bigger picture than just the two of you right off into the sunset and you're going to be happily ever after. It's a family thing. You, you violate that now. If they say, you know what, at this point, you can be friends, we don't want you dating, then you abide by that. Whatever the parents want, unless they're unsaved and they're being unreasonable, and I've watched that happen, but you want to do right. The servant had the confirmation of God. Her family had the confirmation of God and Rebecca herself. Look down at verse number 57. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. This is when Elimelech went to them and told his service why he was there. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. That's just a few words in the scriptures. But think what she was saying. More than likely, she never went back and saw her family again. More than likely, this was, I'm leaving home never to come back. You don't do that carelessly. Oh, sure, sounds like fun. No, she was making a life-altering decision. She wasn't forced into it, but best we can tell by reading the scriptures, she was convinced that this was God's plan for her life. And lastly, I want you to know and see the comfort of a God-given spouse. Now, obviously, this is not the way we have a wedding today. And very few people would ever have that situation. Again, I, we have three or four I could name in our church, but I wouldn't. Uh, there's one couple. They were in church all day yesterday. They never saw each other face to face till eight days before their wedding. Their entire courtship was online. And I'm like, you have a lot more faith than me. <laughs> but they, they've been happily married for probably 15 years now 12 to 15 years and so on it's not the way we do it but the way the storyline is they're traveling back this was over 400 miles over the desert on a camel you're going to be in your best shape right to meet your future spouse she sees him She's overwhelmed by that. She puts a veil on her face, which tells us they didn't wear veils all the time. It was a veil of a bride for her uh, group. They were introduced. Elimelech told this story. Isaac accepted this all as God's leadership. And the entire wedding ceremony was, she's my wife, he's my husband. And they went and they began their life together as husband and wife. But the Bible says... Here this man is 40 years of age, had been a faithful son, had been submitted to Abraham's leadership even on Mount Moriah, 
greatly impacted by his mother's life. She had passed away just three years before. And the Bible says in verse 67 that he was comforted after his mother's death. When you marry in the will of God, young people, you will be able to find comfort and give comfort and have a relationship that is way beyond any other relationship on planet Earth. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Don't be careless in this most important decision of who God wants me to marry. Because as my middle daughter said, when, when she had been out of college for 11, 12 years before she even met the man that she married, one day I was talking to her. I said, are you bothered that you're not married yet? I wanted to know where she was at in her heart. I prayed for her every day. I prayed for God to bring the right man into her life. And she said, Dad, I'd rather be single and happy and free to serve the Lord than married and miserable and out of God's will. If there's any area that going slow is good advice, it's this one. It's this one. Go slow. That's why if you're going to serve God, the, pers the person you marry ought to be trained to serve God. They ought to get the training so they're able to serve. Otherwise, it's not, you're, you're going to struggle through that. If you're, the call of God on your life is, for my life, I'm going to serve God with my life, then you want to be going together. Can two walk together except they be agreed? I've got eight minutes, so I'm going to, guys, help me here. I've got some handout sheets. Any guys that are willing to get up and serve, there you go. There's pins there for those who don't have pins. If you don't want to take notes, I'm not going to be offended, but if you marry the wrong person, don't blame me. Okay? These are not original with me. I'll tell you that right now. It's actually a guy I went to college with and his commentary on Genesis, he had a little addenda and I thought it was good. I've, I've adjusted him a little bit. We're not going to elaborate on them, but we're just going to give them to you. Okay, everybody got one that wants one? Everybody got a pen who wants one? Now those pens are very expensive, so make sure you give them back. Only high quality. Okay, here we go. Number one, Christians should only marry Christians. No exceptions. No exceptions. And if you're not going to marry them, why would you date them? What is the purpose of dating? It is to determine the kind of person that God may bring into your life and to determine this is the character, this is the characteristics, etc. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, God forbids uh, dark and light and so on, and we find an unequal yoke there. Christian, only married Christians. Number two, have common spiritual hearts. Is this person really committed to Christ, or do they only serve because they want to impress me? It's not enough for them just to be saved. Beliefs, standards of separation, doctrine, all kinds of things fall in that. But the more agreement you start with, the less opportunity for conflict later. Number three, ease of communication. The key to any marriage is not looks, it's not romance, it's communication. Can you talk about hard things without getting upset? Can they? 
Do you enjoy time together or does it start to hang on your hands because you run out of things to talk about? Do they freely talk about their walk with God? What God's doing in their heart? Or do you have to drag that out of them? Ease of communication. Number four, character. Honesty, integrity, hard worker, kindness to others. A person's character is one of the main foundations upon which you can build a strong marriage. Are they on time? Do they fulfill their responsibilities? How do they talk about and treat their siblings, their parents, etc.? If they're always talking about their parents don't understand, their parents are too hard, their parents are this, their parents, I would walk away quickly. Number five, concern for others. Selfish people are miserable spouses. Underline it, asterisk it, highlight it, do whatever. You don't want to marry somebody who's self-centered and selfish. Number six, do you have clear leadership of God? And until God makes it clear, don't take another step. I've jokingly said, I knew God wanted me to marry Jan before she could make that decision, but I'm a, I make decisions quickly, she doesn't. And we sort of got to this impasse. And uh, so we sought counsel. And the pastor that we sought counsel from, he said, look, you know, I'd recommend that you just separate from each other for six weeks. Don't talk, don't call, no notes, and just pray. And then at the end of six weeks, you'll probably know God's will. So, man, I took that to heart. I walked right by her in the hallway at college. I didn't even acknowledge her. Oh, it fired her up, man. But I won. <laughs> the truth is, I knew. But she had to come to that point. You want God's clear leadership. Number seven, they care for themselves. And what I'm speaking of, not selfishly, but self-respect. You don't want to marry somebody you're always making excuses for. If you don't respect them now, you won't respect them later. They're slovenly, careless. Look, they've got to have, they've got to earn your respect. Now, there's a difference between self-respect and vanity, and you, you would know that. Number eight. They're chaste, pure in heart as well as body. If they're always pushing you for more physically now, that's a dangerous sign. It's a very dangerous sign. Keep themselves chaste. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And once you're engaged and you're within the time frame of getting ready to get married, then there, you know, there's a gradual growing together physically to culminate on your wedding day. But you, you jump the gun and you get too close too fast. One of two things is going to happen. You're going to fail morally or you're going to break up. And neither is good. In God's will, allow, keep yourself pure. You won't ever regret being too chaste. Number nine, commonality. I've said it a couple of times, but now it's in your notes. Having a common philosophy of life. The more similar your beliefs and desires for life, the better start you will have. Things like debt, things like walking by faith, things like extended family, 
You know, the Bible says, leave father and mother and cleave to your wife. That's speaking very clearly about these extended dynamics. Is your mother-in-law going to be dictating to you what, what you're doing? Let me tell you, you need to establish that. And number 10, the confidence and the agreement of both sets of parents. It's a wonderful thing. I've performed... 30 weddings here at Faithway, probably 50 plus total. It's a wonderful thing when both sets of parents are sitting down here and I'm performing a wedding ceremony and everybody's on board and excited about this. And it's a very bad thing when there is an upset set of parents there. I did a wedding Weird circumstances won't go there, but it was obvious the mother of the groom was not in favor. And my wife and I were assigned to their table during the reception. And let me tell you, that was the longest meal I've ever had in my life. And I felt very bad for the bride because she's a wonderful girl and doing a great job. But that mama didn't want to let her, her baby boy go. And it I hope they've resolved it by now. They live a long way from here. I'm glad I'm not involved. But let me tell you something, young people. You do it God's way, it's a wonderful thing. I said we've been married almost 47 years. Has it always been perfect? No, because I've been a jerk sometimes. And I have to make it right. But God gives grace and God gives you enjoyment and you find God's blessing freely. You say, Pastor, well, this isn't a normal chapel. I know. But I want you to understand, I care about you. I want you to be happy in life, in the will of God. And you're only going to do that and be that and enjoy that as you surrender to him. Let's pray. Lord, you know my heart. I'm not trying to dictate anything to anybody. I'm trying to help these young people who you've given to us and whom we love to make wise, God-honoring decisions. Some are along the journey, some are not. But preventative and uh, preparation can be a great thing. So I pray you'd help every young person here to be committed to your will in the area of their life mate. And that, may make, that, that may mean they have to make some hard decisions today. It may mean that they have to reevaluate what they were thinking. But I pray that it would help them to seek you and you alone in your direction, along with their parents, that a God-honoring decision will be made. So I pray you'd bless our willingness to step outside the box and try and be a blessing and work in each one of their hearts. Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on today's Chapel Podcast. We hope it was an encouragement and a help to you. If you have any questions or are interested in knowing more about our college, feel free to contact us through our website, fbccanada.org, or on any of our social media platforms. And as always, may Christ be lifted up, God be glorified, and servants be trained for the Master's plan. Thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful day.